The account of Christ's passion that we will be reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of John, beginning with chapter 18, verse 29, and we will read through 19, verse 42. It says, So Pilate went outside and spoke to them. What's the charge then? He asked. What have you got against this fellow? If he wasn't doing wicked things, they replied, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Take him yourselves, said Pilate to them, and judge him by your own law. We're not allowed to put anyone to death, replied the Judeans. This was so that the word of Jesus might come true when he had indicated what sort of death he was going to die. So Pilate went back into the praetorium and spoke to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked. Was it your idea to ask that? Asked Jesus. Or did other people tell you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Retorted Pilate. Your own people and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom isn't the sort that grows in this world, replied Jesus. If my kingdom were from this world, my supporters would have fought to stop me being handed over to the Judeans. So then my kingdom is not the sort that comes from here. So said Pilate, you are a king, are you? You're the one who's calling me a king, replied Jesus. I was born for this. I've come into the world for this, to give evidence about the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Truth, said Pilate. What's that? With those words, he went back out to the Judeans. I find this man not guilty. He said to them, but look here, you've got this custom that I should let someone free at Passover time. So what about it? Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? No, they shouted. We don't want him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a brigand. So Pilate then took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and dressed him up in a purple robe. Then they came up to him and said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him. Pilate went out again. Look, he said to them, I'm bringing him out to you so that you'll know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple cloak. Look, said Pilate, here's the man. So when the chief priests and their attendants saw him, they gave a great shout. Crucify him, they yelled, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, said Pilate. I find him not guilty. We've got a law, replied the Judeans, and according to that law, he deserves to die. He made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard that, he was all the more afraid. He went back into the praetorium and spoke to Jesus. Where do you come from? He asked. But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate addressed him again. Aren't you going to speak to me? He said, don't you know that I have the authority to let you go? And the authority to crucify you? You couldn't have any authority at all over me, 
replied Jesus, unless it was given to you from above. That's why the person who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From that moment on, Pilate tried to let him go, but the Judeans shouted at him, If you let this fellow go, they said, You are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who sets himself up as a king is speaking against Caesar. So when Pilate heard them saying that, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the official judgment seat called the pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day of the Passover, and it was about midday. Look, said Pilate, here is your king. Take him away, they shouted. Take him away, crucify him. Do you want me to crucify your king, asked Pilate. We have no king, the chief priest replied, except Caesar. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away. He carried his own cross and went to the spot called Skull Place in Hebrew, Golgotha. That was where they crucified him. They also crucified two others, one on either side of him, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate wrote a notice and had it placed on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Lots of the Judeans read this notice because the place where Jesus was crucified was close to the city. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews. Write that he said, I am the king of the Jews. What I've written, replied Pilate, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, giving each soldier one part. When they came to his tunic, they found that it was a single piece of cloth woven from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to each other. Let's throw lots for it to see who's going to have it. This was so that the Bible would be fulfilled when it says, they took my clothes and divided them up. They threw the dice to decide on my garments. And that's what the soldiers did. Jesus' mother was standing beside the cross. So was her sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, with Mary Magdalene too. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he specially loved standing there. Mother, he said, look, there's your son. Then he spoke to the disciple. Look, he said, there's your mother. From that time, the disciple welcomed her into his own home. After this, Jesus knew that everything had at last been completed. I'm thirsty, he said, fulfilling what the Bible had said. There was a jar there full of sour wine, so they put a sponge filled with the sour wine on a hyssop rod and lifted it to his mouth. Jesus drank it. It's all done, he said. Then he let his head drop. And gave up his spirit. It was the day of preparation. The coming Sabbath was a very special one. And the Judeans were anxious that the bodies should not remain on the cross during the Sabbath. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken. And their bodies taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the men who were crucified with Jesus. First the one, then the other. 
But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers thrust the spear into his side and blood and water came out. The one who saw it is giving evidence and his evidence is true. He knows he's speaking the truth so that you too may believe. These things you see came about so that the Bible might come true. No bone of his will be broken. And again, another passage in the Bible says they shall look on the one whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate if he could take Jesus' body away. He was a disciple of Jesus, but he kept it secret because he was afraid of the Judeans. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body. Nicodemus came too, the man who at first had visited Jesus by night. He brought a concoction of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds in weight. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it up in cloths with the spices according to the normal Judean burial custom. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified in the garden. There was a new tomb in which nobody had ever been buried. So because the tomb was nearby and because of the Judean day of preparation, they buried Jesus there. This is the reading of the Lord's Passion. Tonight is, without a doubt, the most solemn night on the Christian calendar. Good Friday is coming to a close, and there will be but one more day in the preparation season of Lent, what some call Silent Saturday. I mention Saturday for a reason, because the silence of that day gives us a clue as to what Jesus meant in his final words. It's done. Like all of our holiest days, it is sometimes hard to say something new about them. And frankly, sometimes coming up with something new is a bit overrated, I fear. It's easy for some to come to Good Friday seeing it as some aberration in God's plan where Easter Sunday would have to rectify it. And I think in some of our minds, we see it as that way, that Good Friday was this accident of history that Easter Sunday Made right. But if the resurrection was God's way of correcting a cosmic mistake, then really the gospel doesn't make any sense at all. If we say Jesus' death opens the doors to our forgiveness, then it can't be a mistake. This had to happen. But just saying that Jesus' death buys our freedom seems to minimize to a large degree what Christ did on the cross. His death buys our forgiveness, yes, but tonight I want us to consider how Christ's sacrifice really is the beginning of a new beginning, not just for us, but for all of the creation. And so for that, we need to understand a bit of what the cosmic problem was. God had created humanity in his image to be co-rulers with him in the creation. And those of you who were at the Monday Thursday service last night might remember that I had said that Eden seems to have been the place where heaven and earth 
didn't just see each other, but they met. It was where heaven and earth were married together. And so though we were made just a little lower than the angels, we were the ones that were made with a nature like God's. To be his stewards, to work in his creation, to serve one another and to serve in the creation. We were a fallen humanity meant to be God's partners in the created order. But instead of being God's partners, we wanted to try to call the shots for ourselves. We listened to the voice of a beast telling us that we could be like God's ourselves in our own right, if only we would take it. And what is the result of that original sin? Human beings became like animals. And the worst examples we find in Scripture, in the books of Daniel and Revelation, in Daniel we see King Nebuchadnezzar behaving as a beast as he throws men in a fiery furnace that defy him. And he quite literally becomes an animal until he recognizes that God alone rules. In Revelation, the one who sets himself up as a God on earth is literally called the beast, the animal. And throughout history, we have seen what the beast can do from the Holocaust to all of the travesties throughout human history, the Crusades. Persecutions against people, mass murders. Humanity loses its humanity because of a beast, because of the snake, the serpent that had put its own seed into humanity. But even in Genesis, We have the first whispers that something is going to happen. God speaks to Adam and Eve and says that there will be one to crush the serpent's head, a snake crusher. One who will destroy the sin that is in our world, not just in our world, but in us and in all of the creation. The one who will, as Charles Wesley wrote in his hymn, crush in us the head of the serpent. All the while allowing himself to be wounded by it as well. All of the Old Testament is building up and looking forward to this one person, this one true human who can fulfill what it means to be made in the image of Almighty God. One who would serve without asking for anything. One who would love unconditionally, that would heal those that no one else would touch. 
one who would care for those who are marginalized. The one to come who was a son of man, who would also be more than a man. One who could fulfill the purpose of humanity, that original purpose that God had had for us to be his co-rulers and stewards with him. Fast forward to Good Friday. Jesus tells the chief priests that he is that son of man. He says to them that he will ride on the clouds. In other words, he will take his place as ruler of the world and the universe from that moment on. When the chief priests ask him, are you the Christ? He says, yes, and you will see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Daniel spoke of this one who was a man but would ride on the clouds of heaven as God. What we are looking for is the perfect God-man. Jesus allows the beast-like humans to beat him and crucify him. He is quite literally bruised to the point of being unrecognizable. The Roman scourge typically would have been enough to kill the average human being. But it was only by the strength of God that he could have survived that to go on to the greater punishment to come. Humanity showed its worst at that moment. And Jesus shows his best. He offers them forgiveness. The paradox is that the serpent is in fact being crushed by the man who was everything that God called humanity to be in allowing himself to be bruised and murdered, Jesus crushed the head of Satan. God became a man to show us how we should be by serving others and submitting himself to death on the cross in doing so, Jesus destroys the serpent and opens the doors to our freedom. Now, as we prepare to close tonight, you may be asking, how do we get all of that from Jesus' death? Well, I mentioned earlier that Silent Saturday is important for us to understand the crucifixion. Jesus' last words in the Gospel of John are, it's all done, or it's finished, it is accomplished. This is not, these are not words of submission or giving up. These are actually victory words. And those words saying it's done, it's complete, are a big attention grabber. They're meant to call us to look back to the beginning of Scripture 
in the beginning. You see, we need to remember a little bit about the order of creation on the sixth day. God created humanity. And Friday is the sixth day. Saturday is the last day of the week. And if you remember, on the last day, God rests. Jesus is crucified on the sixth day when humanity is made. And his final words are, it's finished. It's done. It is accomplished. This is not an accident. Holy Week is, in fact, the beginning of God's new creation. In his death, Jesus, as God the Son, was creating a new humanity. In those words, it is done. The great work of salvation and the harrowing of hell are accomplished. In my own personal belief, in that moment, Jesus would have gone and told Satan, Here, I have something. Something that belongs to you. Choke on it. All those who would believe and follow him will be called children of God. The cross is Jesus' final working of that new creation. And on the seventh day, once again, he will rest. Then comes the eighth day.
As we depart in silence this evening, I just want to open the invitation that anyone who wants to have some time to pray at the altar, this time is for you. And so we will uh, keep the church open until uh, you, you're ready to, to go. But I want to open the altar to all who wish to come at this time and pray this evening. Gracious God, we pray that as we leave here tonight, that we would remember and be thankful to you for all that you have done for us. And we just ask as we wait for your new day, the eighth day to come on Easter Sunday, that we would remember and give thanks for your goodness and love. Give us strength in this time between now and Easter that we would come to you and remember that you have overcome sin, you have overcome death, and that you have made all things new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and go in peace.